Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, we have Bill uh, Fink with us today from Christagenia.org. I've been trying to get Bill on for a few months, and uh, he's out in, in the woods. Um, he, he was telling us our uh, his situation out in the woods, so he doesn't have a, um, an easy time uh, uh, getting a hold of civilization. <laughs> so we're really uh, fortunate to have him on today, and it being Hitler's birthday, it's like the best day ever. Anyway, so I'm really glad it worked out like this. I think it was meant to be. So I thought we, uh, to start out, Bill, do you want to um, introduce yourself and maybe um, let our audience know how you became of Christian identity? Well, well, I don't know what to say about myself. I was just a, a guy in prison that had a lot of time and, and some good fortune to have resources and, and be able to get any books that I wanted sent in. And in 1996, I started reading about conspiratorial history and and it really caught my interest because i loved history it was my my first love when i was a, a child but in later life i got into law enforcement and trouble and i got into computers and and i was a self-taught programmer and made a, a and actually a, a good living doing that for a while but while i got into history in prison it, it was either study history or math and i started reading um the Barnes Review and the American Free Press at the time and met some some guys because you you meet a lot of this type of individual in prison met some guys who had a lot of um, conspiratorial history books like the Unseen Hand by A. Ralph Epperson and I was fascinated with all of that and the hidden hand behind history I grew up right outside of New York City and if you're a white Christian with any sort of racial consciousness at all in New York City, you learn about the Jew very early in life. And, and my grandfather and my father always had antipathy towards them. And even though I didn't know why or, or didn't understand Jews as a whole, it, it's, they, they are very tribal and all of the bad features that, that white nationalists attribute to Jews, that they're all, for the most part, generally true. And, and Jews do um, possess all of those wicked characteristics that white nationalists constantly harp about. I, I, I mean, not all Jews possess all those characteristics, but generally, as a population, they do tend to, um, tend to exhibit them. Well, well so I've always been racially aware. I've been racially aware since the 1960s, since the time I was six, seven years old, because I witnessed the riots in 67, in 68, that the Negroes chimped out all over the country. So I kind of grew up in with that mentality, in that environment. And after I got to prison, started reading this conspiratorial literature, and about... Ten months into my 12-year sentence, I met a guy that was a, a gentleman that was Christian identity that had some literature for me that he wanted me to read, and it fascinated me. It, it was Bertrand Compare and um, Verboten. I don't even understand. I don't even know who wrote that. It was an Aryan Nations booklet. Um that there were things there from the Dearborn Independent 
Um, William Cameron was actually the editor for Henry Ford, and he was Christian identity. He had written a Covenant People book. It was called The Covenant People. I read that. And, and Robert Balakias, he's still around. I host his website. He, he wrote Uncovering the Mysteries of Your Hidden Inheritance. I read that. So I read five or six of these books, and I was fascinated, but I didn't want to read any more. I wanted to actually read everything they read so that I could figure it out for myself. And the next 11 years of my life were spent doing that. And, and I was um, very critical. I'm a very critical individual. I, I, I don't believe anything having grown up it's outside of New York City, right? You, you learn not to believe anything and, until it could be substantiated. So I spent 11 years substantiating Christian identity from the Greco-Roman classics, from archaeology. I read all the Assyrian and Babylonian inscriptions that I could possibly obtain and, and proving that Christian identity was true. After several years, I became convinced and that's all I've done ever since. That's me. So I yeah. got out of prison and in December of 2008. So I already had all of these computer skills that I taught myself in the 80s. And that made Christogenia. Yeah, your your work is phenomenal because, um, you know, I started like um, with CIA, I started basically with uh, Bertrand Compre. So I did a bunch of presentations on his work and um, I learned from you, you know, uh, the difference between um, real CI and CI light, <laughs> you know, like people call it like about the universalism aspect. Right. You know, that. Yeah, that, that that's uh, that's a big part of it right there is that uh, people don't understand that uh, God chose us and not the other way around. And so the CI light is kind of like a Roman Catholic uh, version, right, where they think that as long as you believe, then um, then you're part of it. Somehow you would be, be included. Right. And, and there's all different levels. Yeah. And, and there, there's all different levels of Christian identity because, you know, the revelation of truth and the deeper inspection and study into those truths is a constant progression. I have not arrived. I haven't arrived anywhere. We're all still learning. I don't care how long you've been reading and studying. I, I mean, I spent in prison 18 hours a day reading a and may maybe 16 because I worked out hours a day <laughs> reading and studying. It's all I did. I mean, it's either that or play with the monkeys and I don't want to play with the monkeys. So I'll just sit <laughs> in my little corner and study and shut the monkeys out. That's my attitude throughout the whole 12 years I was there. It, it's... um. So I don't care how long you think you've been studying. You don't know anything like you could know or, or that, need, that, that can be known, right? Well, we can never think that we know it all. And the British Israel people in the 1800s, they weren't just pulling this stuff out of thin air. They weren't making this stuff up. They actually gained access through the British Empire to a wealth of archaeological data, inscriptions, historical data that medieval Europeans never had access to before, ever. 
even the Greeks, you go back to the time of Herodotus, and Herodotus thought that Semiramis built Babylon. Why? Because that was the Babylonian myth, and the Greeks didn't have the science of archaeology in order to dig the inscriptions out of the ground and see how Babylon was built. That's why. So Herodotus just repeated the Babylonian myth. Semiramis built Babylon. Okay, well, Semiramis is an actual figure, uh, the wife of an Assyrian king who probably lived in the 9th century B.C. She could be identified with a woman from that time, and that's probably the truth. But even she didn't build Babylon. She may have been famous for other reasons. But this is how history was lost to us. Herodotus was only 500 years after her, 400 years after her. And, and they only had a hazy, sketchy mythology of how such a significant city was built. That's only one example. But all through time, we have not had the access to the past that British scholarship and scientific investigation opened up to us in the 18th century, 19th century. So these British scholars start reading these old inscriptions and piecing together history and tracing the path, and British Israel was the result of that. They didn't have the whole picture, but they had some important discoveries related to the identity of modern Europeans. But so, Bill, though, but with British uh, Israel, um, they thought that the Jews were Judah. Isn't they that did. right? And as yes, they did. They always took it for granted that the people known as Jews were telling the truth. That's first. And second, these scholars were all invested in, and, and a lot of them were, mace, were also Freemasons and were always in bed with Jews. Sharon Turner. I believe he was an attorney. He was a lawyer, a barrister in England, right? He, he was a member of the temple. He, he was as high up as a, a white Anglo-Saxon could go without being a, an actual, uh, without having an actual title of nobility, right? But he was a good friend of Disraeli. And, 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 and they constantly traded notes and, and bantered about back and forth. So here we have a man who wrote the, what I consider to be the definitive history on the Anglo-Saxon period of England, and he was in bed with Jews. And he must have been British Israel, from everything I've seen, Rudyard Kipling's another one. Rudyard Kipling was British Israel. I could prove it all through his poems. You could see things that he wrote. Read Recessional. Or really read The White Man's Burden. British Israel believed in universalism and believed the Jews were Judah and thought that their position as true Israel, which is fact, uh, they're a part of true Israel, that's fact, that lent credence to the idea that they should rule the entire world and civilize all of the world's races. Well, if you read Rudyard Kipling's White Man's Burden, he perpetuates that attitude, but he also warns that those other races are going to hate you for it. He also warned, <coughs> and 
in that sense, white man's burden is actually prophetic. I haven't spoken about it in depth, but I have spoken about it. So, so Rudyard Kipling was CI, and, and white man's burden and, and recessional both demonstrate that, but so does other of his work. There's a lot of notable British that were actually British Israel, even if you don't know it. They were. And, and Queen Victoria herself was um, invested in British Israel instruction and understanding but it wasn't truth it, it was ci adopted to fit the british empire and legitimize it it wasn't truth and because yeah, american Bill, christian, oh, christian identity okay. came from that i'm sorry american christian I, I just want to say one more thing american christian <laughs> identity came from british israel and took had a few steps further along in understanding but originally retained all the universalism that's all i'll say okay yeah so i agree and uh what about the mormons because don't the uh mormons also believe that uh the jews are judah and that the rest are the europeans the rest of the tribes i think they believe the same thing don't they well if you believe the book of mormon they they actually picked up on the jewish idea that the american indians are also lost tribes so, so they only, <laughs> they weren't worse. quite there. Right. Yeah. That's, that's true. Yeah, because I think the Jews, as long as you don't believe in, um, you know, that, that the uh, that Judah is actually white people, then they're fine with it, you know? So they'll promote BI, they'll promote Mormonism, they'll promote anything as long as they are Judah. Right. You know, and then that way they're the master race and, and they're the rulers and everything. So so the thing that they that they want to suppress the most is, you know, true CI that white people are Judah. Oh, and, we, and, we can prove all day that the Jews are Edomites and, and Canaanites. And I just talked to Sven Longshanks for two hours about that. Well, well yes, it, it's the Jews are not who they say they are. They will tolerate any religion that recognizes the Jews as Judah, but the Jews don't only want to be Judah, they want to be all of Israel too at the same time. So, so they, they really want to claim that the lost tribes are lost. When the Americas were discovered, there, were, there was a large segment of Jews, Portuguese and Spanish Jews, who had been to the Americas promoting the idea that the Indians were the lost tribes. And that played into the, the hands of the Jews because they used that false teaching to get thousands of ministers and, and other theologians in Europe interested in converting those Indians to Christianity because they were the lost tribes. Yeah, and then they, they're not fine with um, being the, just the lost tribes, right? Like the black Hebrew Israelites, yeah. um, they make us eat them, right? <laughs> they want to destroy us. They're not fine with being part of it. They want to be it and destroy us. Well, well that's what the Jews, yeah. the, the Jews started to use those terms that they always have, right? The Gnostics did it. That, that They use terms... Um, in a spiritual manner rather than for what they really mean and after 70 AD the Jews began who were Edomites claiming to be Israelites they actually began to label the Romans as Edom 
So that started with them, right? I mean, the black Hebrew Israelites are just copying what the Jews did 2,000 years ago. Yeah. That, that's the, the, the confusion over the term Ashkenazi Jew. Medieval rabbis identified, and, and they, it, it was, there's no substantiation for the identification, identified Germany as Ashkenaz, a tribe in, found in Genesis chapter 10. The truth is that Ashkenaz has disappeared in history. I can't trace Ashkenaz in any inscriptions um, more recent than scripture that the people originally known as Ashkenaz have probably been assimilated into the ancient empires, as far as I could tell, and disappeared. And that's happened to a lot of tribes from the biblical times. Well, well is Ashkenaz was Japheth, right? Ashkenaz was the Japhethite tribe, yes. Yeah, well, well, the okay. medieval rabbis labeled, kind of randomly, labeled the Germ Germany as Ashkenaz. And when the Jew says Ashkenazi Jew, he's not saying that he's an Ashkenazi. He's saying he's a German Jew. It's the equivalent oh. of us saying German Jew. He says Ashkenazi Jew because he's from Germany and the Jews see the Germany as being Ashkenaz which is a misidentification, of course, but that's why the term Ashkenazi Jew exists. When we use terms, we think we know what the Jews mean by them, but they actually often mean the opposite. They're not saying what we think they're saying. Yeah, definitely. And then how they call the, uh, the Germans the Nazis, you know, and, um, you know, people think that's derogatory. I mean, they mean it derogatory, but it's funny because I, I see Nazi as Nazarene, Nazarenes, you know, and that shows that we're Judahites again. Well, more than that, Nazi is an ancient Hebrew word for prince, but the, the word Nazarene probably comes from a, a Hebrew word meaning branch. Okay. But Nazi yeah, so is actually a, an ancient Hebrew word So it's a positive term, prince. though, really, you know? Yes. I would but, say to think of it as a positive term, but they use it as a negative to attack us, just like the swastika is a good symbol, but they, you know, promote it as um, bad, you know? So same thing with Nazi. Everything, everything that would be Christian, everything that would be Christian, okay, that there's a a deep philosophical divide that whites again don't understand. Jews are into moral relativism and white Christianity is into concrete morality, that morality can't be relative. To fornicate or to steal or to murder is always bad. And you should always be punished for it. If you read the Talmud, the biblical law is concrete. If you read the Talmud, it, it's thousands of pages of moral relativism, how to come up with arguments to get around God's law. That's the real spirit of the Jew, is a satanic spirit that only wants to corrupt, debauch, and legitimize how it is good for them to do so that that's it it's that there's really an underlying um spirit it could be called an underlying mentality that is drastically different from whites 
and they've exhibited that mentality all down through history. And the, the age of relativism, I mean, the age of enlightenment ushered in an age of relativism where humanism is the idea that man could ascend to the position of God and make his own rules. And the, and the Jew is always um, promoted and, and had those things as his agenda. And, and that's satanic. That, that goes all the way back to that original chaos that the Jewish world is founded from. Exactly, because the, the Talmud is a book of man's law, and the Bible is God's law, and so they hold the Talmud above the Torah, so they're saying man's law is above God's law. Right. So that's, yeah, and they're, um, they're all into um, apotheosis, right, becoming uh, man as God, getting rid of God and replacing him um, with man, with them. Even the other races, even the Negroes are, are the foremost example. The Negroes in America have seen law, and they still to this day see the rule of law as a white institution. I have dictionaries that identify the word man colloquially as white society. Because when Negroes, and, and we see this in old movies, when Negroes say the man is coming in reference to the police, he means the white, the agents of law enforcement in white society. And that's how he uses the term, the man. The man is the agent of law enforcement in white society that's going to uphold the laws that the white men created. And to this day, Negroes all across America, and especially every one of those in prison, they despise that. They despise the rule of law and order in society because their innate spirit tells them that they should be guided by the law of the jungle. When you see a Negro convicted of a crime and sentenced to a crime, he thinks he looks remorseful. He's only sorry that he got caught. He's never sorry for what he did, ever. Yeah, and that definitely um, sets us apart. We're, you know, shows that we're seed of the woman instead of seed of the serpent because we have that moral compass within us that they don't have. Right, and if you don't understand that, and, and that's observable in, in history and in society today, and, and if you don't understand that, you're never really going to understand not only Christianity and white history and what's happening to us today, you'll also never understand the Jews and, and, and the dangers of egalitarianism, which has led us, it, we have to be going down the path we're on because we've accepted egalitarianism. It's inevitable. Yeah. So today, you know, because we see that um, everything that's happening happening you know it's uh you know you mentioned the hidden hand and we know the hidden hand are the jews you know pulling the strings behind the scenes so they're the ones causing uh all the you know race conflict they're trying to get a race war going flooding europe you know with the immigrants flooding america with immigrants coming up from um, mexico and uh you know we had that story in minnesota with the boy in the mall um you know, and I learned that there's 70,000 from that story. I learned there's 70,000 Somalis uh, in that area yes. in yes, Minnesota that used to be a complete uh, white state. You know, it was uh, almost 100 percent white. Now there's 70,000 Somalis 
uh, immigrants there, you know? That was also and, initiated by Clinton. He's the first one that started flying Somalians into Minnesota. They've also flown Somalians in large numbers into New Hampshire. And they, they've flown Iraqis in huge numbers to Oklahoma. That they're, they're planting these people, these adversaries to the Jews abroad, they're pl- and, and these poor, starving Africans. They're planting them all over America. It's not just a problem in Mexico. Yeah, so put them in our midst to uh, destroy us through the back door, basically, right? I, I had a video. Of a, yeah. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, please. I have a video that I was going to post, but it was very poor quality. It was terribly done. It, it was the guy was trying to do a good job, and, and I, I couldn't post it. But he, he did have a good message. In, in a little um, rural town in West Virginia, the state of West Virginia just spent like $80 million to build a housing project for hundreds of Syrians, which are going, going to be flown into West Virginia. So, so this... yeah, it's crazy because all these people too, you know, they don't work, so they they just come in and they're on welfare, and we're supporting them, you know, on the backs of the white middle class, basically. Well, well, the Jews, you know? the, the bankers keep debauching the currency by printing more and more money and more and more money, and that's only going to hold up as long as it's recognized as the de facto world currency, which the dollar has been since. World War II, at, at least. Well, well the, the, um, the, the petrodollar, right? That, that was the problem with OPEC in, in the 70s also. Well, well the, um, the fact is that if the dollar ever falls from its status as de facto world currency in petrodollar, that, that its inflation is going to run rampant because the, the economy is going to have to pay for all of the excess money in society. And that's what causes inflation. That's the only thing that causes inflation is excess money, is too much money in circulation. So, yeah, I think, they have, I think they have a time frame in mind, you know, because they're all about the numbers and everything. That, that uh, I think like the Great Depression was probably like a, a little beta test of how they can crash um, society when they're ready. What do you think about that? You know, I think that, um, you know, like they did the Notre Dame thing, you know, that looks like it's staged, you know, people looking into it. There was um, all these churches that uh, burned uh, the week before. There's 10 churches that were vandalized, um, Christian churches. And, um, you know, they, they found like things were broken inside and stuff. One of them, they um, uh, smeared excrement. They did a cross in excrement inside like all this really disgusting stuff you know and it looks like they're they're trying to get um the asleep white people so angry that they'll fight uh you know the arabs immigrants black people etc you know and 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 they have the mall of america thing happening you know to, to try and ramp it all up and get everyone to fight and i think it's all tied with the economy too like they're gonna i i think that they're they're trying to make uh armageddon happen so they could rein in their antichrist right but they say that they have to get rid of the white people for that to happen so they're trying to use their hordes against us first and watch the show and get rid of as many of us as they can you know and then whatever else they have in store for us that this ib times international business times 
ibtimes.com, and, and I've heard many other stories similar to this. Of, of course, I've never been to France, but ibtimes.com is saying that 875 churches have been vandalized in 2018. I really wow. believe, I really believe that the, and, and I've heard other similar stories, two churches a week, two churches a day in some sources that they're claiming are, van claiming are vandalized. You, you don't really know what's authoritative and what's not when you're sitting 3,000 miles away, but, and, and, and the media is very tightly controlled. So it, the mainstream media is anyway through the press agencies and things like that. And, and the, the concentrated ownership of media outlets. Um, 875 churches vandalized in 2018. Even if half that number is correct, or a tenth of that number is true, that's 87 churches vandalized in 2018. That's more than one a week, right? I, I mean, that's an incredible amount of churches being vandalized, but France is at the vanguard of the fall of Western civilization. Now, French history, if you read Mein Kampf and understand World War I, the French, you could say, if you're a German, you could say, oh, the French deserve it. But the same thing's happening in Germany. Germany's just not as far along the curve. And the same thing is going to happen in the United States. We're looking at the Jews have been um, assaulting Christianity for 2,000 years. But the assault really picked up after the... French Revolution, and of course, Christianity was even banned from France for a time during the French Revolution. And, and that assault, even though the, the pendulum swings the other way once in a while, that assault's never ended. The Jews have been assaulting Christianity in the United States for 150 years now, and, and Henry Ford explains it all detail by detail in The International Jew. So, and, and I hope to present that one day in the protocols, in my protocol series. But this is only the tail end of that in France. Christianity has been destroyed in Europe. It's been destroyed since the end of World War II. Europeans have fled the churches. They've fled Christianity. They don't know what to follow. Even the Christians that say, even the Europeans that say they're Christians are really only cultural Christians, which today is Jewish pop culture. And it's not Christianity at all. You're not a cultural Christian running around the beaches half naked. I mean, that's just not Christianity. I'm sorry. It, it's your, 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 your real religion is pop culture that allows you to be um, hedonistic and licentious. That's just the way it is. Most people today, their real religion is pop culture. Christianity as an institution has been destroyed. And this is only the proof of it is in the fact that all these churches have been vandalized and now even Notre Dame, the cathedral, has been destroyed. To me, that's symbolic of the real destruction that has been happening over a 50-year period. That institutional and Christianity is, is a beast that's half dead and, and, and the soldiers have it all tied down and they're still stabbing it with spears because its heart hasn't stopped beating yet. It, it's that this Catholic church isn't Christian, not at all. I mean, this Pope just loves his, his sodomites and, and puts it right out there on Main Street that he has no problem with it. It may as well be on a marquise. 
of all the movie houses. The, the Catholic Church embraces sodomy. I, I mean, it, it's incredible. Um, didn't the um, didn't you say the um, the serpent was released from the pit from France? Wasn't that uh, the French Revolution? Is that when it started? Yes, I, I believe that's when Satan was unbound, and and that's yeah. a process. Everything in the prophecies of the Revelation is a process which unfolds over many years. Nothing in the Revelation actually happened in one literal 24-hour day, right? Even the days yeah. in the Revelation are just ages or years. A prophetic day is a year, and, and that can be demonstrated. When a prophet says day, he means at least a year. In, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, that could be demonstrated. In Daniel. So in the Revelation, everything is a process. It takes time, a, a a, a, a series of historical events. It was a long series of historical events for Europe to become Christendom. And it really took a thousand years to happen for Europe, even though it was prophesying to happen. And Christ said it was going to happen. And the apostles, Paul said it was going to happen. It took a thousand years for Europe to be essentially Christian. And, and when I say Christian, I'm not talking about everybody going to church. I'm talking about the, the laws and the customs being based in Christian principles and the pagan laws and customs being pushed out of the way. That's what I mean by Christian. It's what you do in your daily life that makes you a Christian, not what church you go to. It took a thousand years to make Europe Christian, and Europe did become Christian and thrived until the French Revolution. And that was when Satan was let out of the pit in the Revelation, that is when it happened because the Jew was emancipated, was made an equal citizen with the Christian. Once the Jew was made an equal citizen with the Christian, and that was also, a, that took about 75 years to happen across Europe. But once that happened, our society began a downward spiral. As soon as the Jew could hold political office and take part in, in the political process, we started as a civilization on a downward spiral, and Christianity started being pushed more and more into the closets, into the fringes. All of our Christian institutions and our governments were, were separated with, with this false claim about something Thomas Jefferson wrote about separation of church and state, which he never meant to say the way it's phrased. It, it's a long story, but it, it, it was also a long process to get to the point where we're at. In, in um, 200 years ago, I, I mean, Congress was saying prayers. 100 years ago, they were saying prayers at the opening of sessions. What happened? Christian prayers. And, and everything was based on the concept that in God we trust. And, and now that's totally pushed out of the way. Yeah, it seems like. Uh, Christian America is totally marginalized now. Like we're the minority, you know, it's everything, everything we see in the news, um, TV, everything is um, of the left, you know, the pushing the LGBTQ uh, BS and, you know, the um, black lives matter and Antifa, you know, it's um, and, and then they have the, um, you know, the Trump stuff, 
you know, push that it's it, it's funny because they push uh, Trump as a Nazi, but then he's really a Jew, right? Trump and um, he supports I- Israel 100 <laughs> percent, you know, right. So I, I mean, all they of keep his kids pushing that narrative, you know, his kids are all married to Jews. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I said it as early and, and it's documented at Christogeny. It's documented on my site. I think it was March of 2016. It may have been earlier that I said that Donald Trump exists to make white nationalists look stupid. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly and, what he did. Because his his father, too, built synagogues in New York, right? Right, right. He, he gave lots of money to, to building particular synagogues in New York. Yeah, so it's funny how they use, uh, you know, uh, people, characters, whatever, uh, to push a certain narrative when at the same time that character, he's on their temple coin, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He's on their shekel, for the, the half shekel for their temple coin. I'm you not know, so surprised. Yeah, so they're obviously down for Trump, you know, but it's funny because so many um, supposedly awake people don't see that and they're pro-trump awake white people you know i really think that half of the so-called awake white people maintain part of the paradigm to look legitimate and they're really on the side of our enemies and being financed by our enemies i really believe yeah. that. yeah i a lot of them probably are and they're um you know they call them shabos goys right so they're yes. white people that are traitors to their race Basically, so they're they're worse than the Jews, actually. Shabboskoys. Absolutely, because they're traitors. Been around for thousands of years. So, what do you think? Because uh, you know, from at the time of uh, Hitler, you know, uh, Europe was still Christian, and he was fighting a holy war. He knew he was right against. Uh, communism and he did say that you know if they didn't win he said something like he thought all was lost right if they didn't win and and they didn't win and here we are here we are you know we we don't have um charismatic leader leaders like hitler it seems like we're all kind of just all over the place and uh you know i don't know what do you what do you think uh where do you think we're at now and what do you foresee? You know, how, do you foresee us um, waking up and becoming uh, united you, against you know, the Antichrist spirit? Mm, yes and no. Yes and no. It, it's, I don't think we're going to have a mass awakening. We can't have a mass awakening until Babylon calls because it's only God who has the power ability to awaken any one of us i can't do it i, I can it, if you make it to christogenia I, I sincerely believe it's because you were called by god to an awakening i'm not making um too much of myself in that respect because there are other sources of truth and light but if i can i, I can take the average white man and i can pretend i don't know it all but i'll say it I don't know everything, but I know enough. I could know all history and all scripture. And I could speak about any aspect of history and scripture and show how it fits perfectly into our, um, if I have to call it this, our two-seed line Christian identity paradigm, okay? I could talk to you and explain World War I, World War II. I don't care what it is. I'll explain it through that lens on those terms and... It should make perfect sense. 
and I could explain all scripture and exactly what's going on today with the other races and how that bears with scripture and, and take any average white American and sit them down and get nowhere. It doesn't matter how many ancient inscriptions I can quote. It doesn't matter how many sources from ancient history I can quote. It doesn't matter how many Bible passages I could quote. If it doesn't fit their Judeo-Christian brainwashed paradigm, they're not gonna, they're not gonna believe a word I say. I've done this a thousand times. I've failed a thousand times. If they're not, if, if some spark in them isn't ignited by God himself, I can't reach that person. Doesn't matter how many times I quote John 8, 44, or, or tell them the plain history of how an, a Canaanite became a Jew. They're oblivious to all that. Unless that spark is lit, and I can't light that spark. I can't do it. I've tried a, a, a thousand times and failed. 10,000 maybe and failed. It, it's incredible. It, it's, um, you have to have some sense of racial awakening sort of on your own to come to the truth of this. So I don't well, see... What, um, Christ said to the apostles, right? You haven't chosen me, I have chosen you. Right, right, exactly. And, and I have, you know, I, I spent... 10 years teaching Christian identity to white men in prison. And sometimes I did real good. And usually I failed. And I had a captive audience. I had a captive audience and I'm a big dude. And if I want to talk to you, you don't have a choice. So, <laughs> so, so I, I'd still fail. It's hard still, to pull people out of it. Do you think it's, uh, is it like the Gideon 300? Do you think that um, Yahweh just, you know, picks certain people and he only needs certain people, only a certain amount to accomplish, you know, his goals? Well, well with God, is um, one is a majority. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so exactly. that's the way it is. If you have God on your side, one is a majority. Yeah, all you need is one. He, so he doesn't need me. Yahweh, that's it. He, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need any of us. So so we could never, uh, I mean, no matter how how good Chris Degania does in the Alexa rankings, uh, I'm never going to believe that I'm it, right? Because I know that I'm not it, and I'm never going to be it, right? The next Hitler is Jesus Christ. He's coming back, and it would take me... Um, a hundred hours to explain how come I am so certain of that because the revelation of that is in the truth of prophecy and, and the prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, revelation prophecy, um, the prophecies of Christ and his parables, it has come true. I, I mean, okay, Jesus Christ, th there were 5,000 competing Greek, Jewish, Egyptian philosophies in the first century, Roman. There were 5,000 competing philosophies, perhaps, in the first century. There were all kinds of teachers of heresy in the first century. Jesus Christ looked at the woman washing his feet and he said, this is before his crucifixion, he said that when this report goes out throughout all the world, that she's going to be um, extolled for what she's doing, right? That's what he said, basically, I'm paraphrasing. But you know what? It happened. And 
there ain't a European at some point in his life hasn't heard that story. Well, there are, Sean, Scotland, Sean, yeah. How far Jesus Christ are, are, said we that, from, are we from this return, do you believe? Oh, I'm sorry. I talked over you. Sorry, it's Sean, Sean from Scotland here. Yeah. How far, how far are we from this return, do you believe? I, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. How he was far? Saying how from Christ return. The Christ return. How, oh, how I wish I could say that. I, I wish I could say that, but I can't. Paul thought it was tomorrow. Do Paul you... always thought it was tomorrow because that's what Christ taught that we should believe. And that's how mm -hmm. Christ taught that we should act, as if he's coming back tomorrow. We should all, all Christians should act as if his return is imminent. Paul thought he was coming back soon, but now it's been 2,000 years, right? <laughs> you know, Bill, it seems like because of, uh, you know, how bad World War II was, you know, and especially for our people and all the suffering um, that they went through, you know, um, all the torture, you know, from, from the Russian soldiers, you know, the things they did to them and like the Dresden bombing and stuff like that. And that, uh, you know, Yahweh didn't want Hitler to win. So it was kind of like he wanted Hitler to be a role model for us so we can be inspired by him and get ready for the great battle, you know? So World War Three is basically Armageddon. And I think it's going to be, uh, like nothing that they saw, you know, World War One, World War Two. You know, I don't, I, I think that we're going to have it's going to be devastation across the whole world. You know, there's going to be wars, fires, you know, famine, whatever. You know, everything before he comes or when he comes. Don't you think? Yeah, you know, that's an aspect. Of I don't think something... it's just going to be like he's just going to show up, you know, one day and in the middle of this, like it is. Is well, right now. Right. I think it's it's going to be worse. It, it's going to be much worse. It's always a process, but that's an aspect of something that I teach that I'm condemned for when I repeat it. But I'm still going to repeat it because I have no fear. Um, in Daniel chapter twelve, verse one, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And everybody says that Michael is Jesus. Michael is Jesus. Well, I got news for you. Michael is not Jesus. Michael means who is like God. That's what Michael means. And if you're a Christian, a real Christian, you have to understand that Jesus Christ is God. So Michael is not Jesus Christ period. In fact, in other places in Daniel, Michael's described as one of the chief angels, but he's not God. And I believe that Michael is only a description, a prophetic description for somebody who thought that they would fulfill the role of God by separating the wheat and the tares. And that's what Adolf Hitler did. That's what he did. He fulfilled that role. Yeah. Now, he isn't the only fulfiller of that role because Kaiser Wilhelm, he was onto the same thing. He just couldn't execute it. And Tsar Nicholas was onto the same thing. He, well, he got executed. He couldn't execute it either. The Russians had the pale. They tried to separate the Jews. The, 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 um, 
The truth is that I believe that that Michael is a spirit that affected a group of leaders at that time, and they failed. Why did they fail? Because Michael means who is like God, and none of them are God. When we, we will win, we will prevail in the end. But when it happens, no matter how it happens, because I always say that prophecy doesn't exist so that we could see the future. Prophecy exists so that we can hear the word of God and know that he is true once it is fulfilled. That's why prophecy exists. So, I believe that Adolf Hitler was the culmination and the most significant figure in that group of men who stood up against world Jewry, against the collective Satan, and they failed because they're not God. They tried to do what he said that he would do. Is that bad? No, it's not bad. Are they not valiant? Of course they're valiant. Of course they were brave, courageous men. Hitler was a great man, but he ain't God. So he couldn't succeed. That's my opinion. Yeah, because when um, when uh, Jesus came and you know he spoke up against the the Jews and he he flipped the the money tables, you know, and then and then he got crucified. So you know he's the greatest martyr, right? I think right. that um, Hitler followed that lead. That's why he, you know, uh, fought against the Jews, kicked them out. So basically flipped over their tables, right? Everything. And right. then he ended up being a martyr, you know, so well, he, right. he was following in the footsteps of Christ for sure. And that's what we're so, all told to do. Yeah. That's what I, I think exactly. So that, um, you know, when, when he does come back, I think that he, uh, that we're all supposed to participate. You know, we are supposed to be his battle axe, his well, weapons. Absolutely. Adolf yeah. Hitler, I believe Adolf Hitler was the, the example of an ideal leader who was just destined to fail because if, if you go back to Revelation chapter 17, we are told that a time would come when the people of God hand their kingdom over to the beast. And we're in that time. We've been in that time. That process, I believe, started with the founding of the Bank of England when the Jews gained total control of the English crown. And it culminated with the founding of the Federal Reserve when the Jews assured themselves through control of the United States economy that they would be able to dominate the entire world. 1913. Ever since then, our kingdom has been handed over to the beast. They have been in total control of it. Now, a lot of times their plans fail and they don't come to pass at all. But when they succeed, sometimes it's early, sometimes it's late. But when they succeed in advancing their agenda, we go further down the path to hell. I mean, the civil rights movement, World War I, World War II, we're all a part of that. And, and it's still ongoing. Now we're being flooded with aliens. And, and that's described in that, that same scenario where when Satan is let out of the pit, 
in Revelation chapter 20, and, and that, that's a lot of explaining to show that the Revelation is a series of visions and often they overlap. It's not just one prophecy that's supposed to unfold chronologically from beginning, of that, from beginning to end. That's not what it is. But that when Satan is led out of the pit, which happened with the emancipation of the Jews in the 19th century, Satan would gather all of the world's nations against the camp of the saints. Who were the camp of the saints? The camp of the saints are white Christendom. And we're seeing that before our very eyes where all the world's nations are being flooded into white Christendom in Satan's war against Christ. We're at Definitely. the, I like to think that we're at the end of that. If you go to Revelation chapter 18, Babylon, mystery Babylon falls. Mystery Babylon is this world Jewish banking and economic system that have us all enslaved. It has us all enslaved, and when it falls, then the people of God hear the call. Come out of her, my people. And once they choose to do that, then we see reward under her double as she has rewarded you. That's when our vengeance comes. That's when we prevail. That's the point we're all hoping to arrive at. When mystery Babylon falls, when that world economic system crumbles, and it will, it's built on a, on a house of cards. None of that money exists. None of the wealth that the Jews possess actually exists. It's all just pieces of paper and entries in computers of stuff that's fake, that ain't even there. It's all the Wizard of Oz. It's a big curtain with a big monster and a little dwarf behind it at the controls. That's all it is. Once it fails, then it's our turn. But if our people don't get tribal and tribe up with their own kind, they're not going to survive it. Do you think um, South Africa is kind of a glimpse of uh, what it will be like? Absolutely. South Africa should show Americans what the fate of whites is in a world dominated by beasts. But the fault, the problem is that Americans don't look beyond the major media outlets. That's the problem. Only a very small percentage of us do that. So all the Americans, the preponderance of not only Americans, but Europeans also, and Australians and New Zealanders, that, that everything they believe is fed to them through the media. When you go to the average American and say anything contrary to what he learned from CNN, Fox News, NBC, ABC, CBS, Reuters, the BBC, if you tell him anything contrary to that, he's not going to believe you because he didn't see it on TV. <laughs> so the TV is basically his God. Every American has an idol in their living room that is really their god true yeah absolutely unfortunately yeah it's a, it's a weapon of mass distraction <laughs> yeah mass distraction definitely and powerful yeah. well, well to them i mean they may not ever call it a god they might pray to a god but they obey everything that comes out of that television. They bow before it 
some of them 10, 12 hours a day. They go to church for a week on Sunday. They spend the whole rest of Sunday watching these Kathirs run up and down a field with a ball. Who's their real God? The guy in church or that TV that they spend the next 12 hours with? Yeah. So, so when uh, Jesus Christ comes... Um, and then we have Armageddon, basically the final battle. And then uh, that's when the wheat and the tares will get separated and the tares get thrown in the fire. And that's the end, right? Yes, ma'am. That's the Is beginning. It, okay. I because, see that as a beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because a lot of, cause sure. there are people that are arguing that, um, that that's not, that Satan will be in the pit for a thousand years or something after that. And that, that doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, that, futurism. That, yeah, futurism, exactly. There is one line. There is one line that was an interpolation that doesn't belong to any of the original manuscripts that leads them to believe that. And, and that's the line in verse 5 where it says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. That don't belong in the original Greek manuscripts. It's not in the original Greek manuscripts, that line. It's not in the oldest manuscripts. It was added later. It was probably... So do you think the Jews put it in there? Well, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be Jews. It was some... It, it could have been some early Christian that, that had this as a commentary, as a comment. A lot of marginal notes ended up in scriptures inadvertently in later manuscripts. And, and it may have just been a comment that some wayward Christian made, some scribe, but it got into these later manuscripts and ultimately into the King James Version of the Bible and most other popular versions. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Well, there hasn't been a resurrection yet. So this must all be in the future. And that's the attitude. But that then, line don't yep. belong. Bill, can you talk about that, that new beginning that you just mentioned? Well, well, that new beginning is in Revelation chapter 21. There's the kingdom of heaven and the city of God. And if you're not one of the 12 tribes whose names are written on the gates, you're not going to be there. Is that going to be on earth? Yes. The plan wow. of God is to have his kingdom on earth. Yeah. That's yeah. why the kingdom of heaven comes down from heaven. The plan of God, is, what's the prayer that Christ taught his apostles to pray? Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God already prevails in heaven. His, his objective is for the man which he created on earth to do his will on earth. And Adam failed, as we see in Genesis chapter 3. So all of this history ever since the failure of Adam is foreseen by God to result in Adam's restoration, the white race generally being Adam, Adam's restoration and ultimate success because God's creation will ultimately function in the manner in which God planned. God's not going to be mocked. Yeah. So how does that work for us? So like say... Say it's Armageddon and, and we're fighting uh, the battle, right? And then we get killed, right? So then we go up to heaven. Um, 
do we get to come down to after it's all over do we get to come down to earth then and enjoy the kingdom or is there or is there like two kingdoms and you're either in heaven or you're born on earth and you get to you know be immortal on earth during that i, I believe that you know when uh, okay that this we have the adamic race was created with an eternal spirit that exists outside of and after the destruction of the fleshly body. Now, Paul talks about a change, a metamorphosis, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And my personal metaphysical belief is that all of our ancestors and deceased kindred on the spiritual plane will join us because somehow those two planes are going to merge. And when the two planes merge, none of the enemies of God are going to survive it. Nobody who's not Adamic is going to survive it because they don't have that eternal spirit which was, which was created innately in our race. The wisdom so you, of Solomon. You think heaven two. and earth are going to merge then? Well, well, heaven, what, what do you consider heaven? Um, is it a place in the sky? Is it on this cloud or that cloud or above that planet? I, I don't consider it that way, right? To me, it's just another plane of existence that perhaps we can't see or sense under normal circumstances. The scriptures yeah. that lead me to believe that, like um, the transfiguration on a mount or... When Christ said to the apostles, to Peter in particular, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ told them that he didn't have to defend him to look around me. Don't you see that there are legions of angels? I, I believe that's that other plane. It, if we read um, the epistle of Jude, where he quotes something from First Enoch, actually, from... from I don't like the Ethiopic first Enoch, but the Dead Sea Scrolls are a better representation. The Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, right? I mean, I do believe there's going to be a metaphysical reconciliation of our race, not necessarily a, a physical resurrection, because they have, as Paul described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, they have spiritual bodies which are ethereal but they're every bit as real as this physical body that we sense in this life that's what i believe that's a metaphysical belief that what would take me a long time to um demonstrate from scriptures it really can't be proven in in tangible passages but it can be demonstrated from scripture so do you think uh, in the Battle of Armageddon, some of our ancestors will come back to help us type of thing? Well, well, I mean, it depends on how you want to interpret, behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. But if God created us to be immortal, then we have to accept the fact or the belief that they are there. And our ancient ancestors certainly did believe, all of them, that they had they would exist, continue to exist after death. I gave this a lot of thought early in my studies, and I came to the conclusion that if, I, if I'm an Adamite, that's first, right? 
none of us have an absolute guarantee. If I'm one of these people, truly white, and if I don't take my experiences and what knowledge I've acquired and what lessons I've learned with me after I die, what's the point? There's no point. All this yeah, is a charade. Yeah. The scripture tells me that I certainly will take those experiences and lessons with me, which is the point that we learn the consequences of sin while we're here. Romans chapter, chapters 5 through 8 are all about that. That we learn the consequences of sin. So, and we uh, learn that... Sorry. Oh, just real quick. So, Bill, so along those, those lines of that, um, you know... Uh, depending you know how we get judged when we die right and then and then what happens you know because we all we all go to heaven uh because we're atomites but when uh we die we get judged so what exactly does that mean you know like is someone that actually uh left or le lived a very immoral life what would that mean for that person in heaven well, well first the Apostle John said, children, we do not yet know what we shall be. So I can't really tell you exactly what rewards or lack of rewards or station or position are going to be for any of us, even the greatest saints after this life, right? I can't tell you that. We do not yet know what we shall be according to the Apostle John. If he didn't know, I sure as hell aren't going to know. So, we have um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have this description by Paul of Tarsus saying that, um, that he can only build on a foundation which Christ had left, and if any man builds um, gold, or silver or precious stones, he will be rewarded. If any man builds only wood, hay, or stubble, and all his works burn up in a fire, he himself will be saved, but he'll have no reward, right? We see in Daniel chapter 12 that, that I had quoted just a few minutes ago that many of those who are going to be resurrected will come to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, let me tell you first that if you have shame and everlasting contempt in the resurrection, you're still there. You're still going to be there. It may not be good for you, but you're still there. So what does that mean? Well, I, I think that that means that you'll have no reward, and that's what Paul was describing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But evidently, it's not going to be good for some people. They, they may repent of their sins later. Paul says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that some men's, sins go, some men's sins go ahead to the judgment. There he's describing people who repent from their sins in this life. Others they follow after. And there he's describing people who are going to have to account for their sins in the life they lived here 
to Christ personally because they never repented in this life. But the objective of God is that every knee shall bow to Christ. Every Adamic knee shall eventually bow, meaning submit himself, to the will of God. Every one of us, because that's what God created us for. He is not going to fail. Amen. And that uh, also destroys the uh, universal argument that only good Christians go to heaven. Well, There's well, obviously right. going to be people who have um, regrets and that who I've didn't necessarily follow a Christian lifestyle. I'm sorry. I, I've, I, I'm keyed up. I, I've argued with turkeys like Eli James over this. It, if these same people that want to take their own white brethren and, and throw them into the lake of fire would invite a nigger to the kingdom of heaven because he <laughs> behaved. These same people do it. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and it's contrary to scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Our sins are forgiven in Christ. They're already forgiven. Even the ones we didn't do yet are forgiven. We may have a greater or a lesser reward in, in the future on account of whether or not we continue to sin, but they're already forgiven. Otherwise, what did Christ do? Yeah, you know, exactly. I, I get a lot of criticism because, because my... Um, my brand, if you will, I have to call it a brand of Christian identity, is a, is a radical departure from the British Israel and early American Christian identity. And, and even Compare and Swift, I'm a radical departure from them. But that's what I said earlier about the progression of truth and understanding that that goes hand in hand, and, and that's just the way it is. I'm not going to apologize for it, but that's everything I say is in my podcasts, and, and people are just going to go have to study a thousand podcasts. I, I can't tell you where it all is. <laughs> that, that's all I could say about that. And also we're brought up to, um, you know, with the, brainwashing that segregation is bad and that we should all be you know the universe the universalist point of view is what uh we're raised upon you know so so for a lot of people it's really hard to break that programming but when you um you know when you listen to your presentation you explain it so well through scripture you know with the the um what is it the good uh fruit and the bad fruit and um, you know, all the, all the ways you explain it and you go through scripture and it, it makes total sense. Like the tree of life and the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, um, you know, sorry. Well, well, that's right okay, here. Rosette, but I don't know where to start with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the but just, but just, you do you, what you, what you say is truth. You know, any, anyone that listens to your presentations, if it wasn't true, then they should be able to discredit it. They should be able to um, explain why it's not true. And you really don't get that with anybody, you know? So even if they don't like the truth because of their brainwashing, it is the truth. The, the first, you know, the first and absolute truth that God is a racist is the fact that race exists. Yeah. If God created precisely. all things and race exists. God must be a racist. 
if the law in Genesis, which is repeated like a dozen times in the early chapter of Genesis, chapters of Genesis, if the law in Genesis is kind after kind, everything after its kind, then God is a racist because he wants each of the kinds that he created to maintain its original nature. So when man goes mixing them up with his anti-racism, he's really violating the laws and corrupting the creation of God. So racism is love for God. That's what racism is. Exactly. And if you if we just look to nature, we could see that that's true too, you know, that kind doesn't, uh, kind is always with kind, like, you know, I have a lot of birds here, tropical birds, and we have like the, um, uh, the, uh, the cardinals, all the different cardinals, there's a redhead cardinal, there's a, a red butt cardinal, it's called the red bulbul cardinal, then there's like the full red, you know, and, and they don't mix, you know, well, the well, redhead you know, cardinals are with uh, the redhead cardinals. I'm sorry, but you forgot to read Stephen Hawking. And, and who's that clown from Harvard, that Jew? I can't remember his name. <laughs> they are all different species, but humans are all the same species. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's absolutely yeah. hypocritical, but that's how they, that, that's how they justify that. And, and it really is incredibly hypocritical and incredibly ridiculous that people actually believe that. But that's how they justify it. Those Darwin's finches, one of them has a slightly longer beak than the other, and it's a different species, but wow. Yeah, exactly. And then the Jews are the biggest hypocrites of all, right? Because they're the ones that don't race mix. Well, well yeah, right. They, they claim I mean, they do. They are a mixed race, but... They you know, advertise they, that they don't race mix and expect yeah. us to believe it. And and they're actually history's oldest race mixers, but they expect yeah. us to believe that they don't race mix. And and Christians buy that. Yet you know why is it that you you could um be a, a Palestinian Arab and put on different clothes and walk into a Jewish wedding and blow it up undetected? <laughs> yeah, because Jews and they're Palestinians the are the same. It, it's it's incredible. Yeah. That the, the things they get away with through the power of propaganda is incredible. And that goes back to who is your God and the fact that most white Christians believe everything they get from the media, so the media is really their God. If they believe their Bible like they believe CNN, we would have a wonderful world. We would have the kingdom of heaven. We would. Yeah, because they go through their, um, so they ra they do the race mixing, but they, uh, you know, go through the woman, right, for their seed line. So they still try to have, keep their seed line, I don't know if you'd say pure then, but they go through the woman, like you still have to be Jewish through the woman, right? Right, and that's the Orthodox Jews that believe that. The Orthodox Jews hold the line on that. The Orthodox Jews have taught that 
ever since the time, probably before the time of Christ, to them a Jew is somebody who had a Jewish mother. Doesn't matter who the father was. But the whole Bible, it matters who the father is. It actually matters who both parents are. But the entire scriptures, the, the descent and ident tribal identification comes down through the father, not through the mother. So the Jews are absolutely contrary to the Bible, and Christians don't understand that. That's, <laughs> uh, that alone is proof that there's something suspect with the Jews. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what can we um can we talk about Easter a little bit since it, it's tomorrow? Uh what's uh what's the CI perspective on Easter? Is it would you just consider it a pagan holiday or is there aspects of it that um that you see as Christian? Well well, if we really want to get down to the nitty-gritty, Paul of Tarsus tells his the the recipients of his epistles especially in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, one or the other, that we should keep the feast referring to Passover, not to Easter. Easter is um, pagan traditions layered onto a, an errant Christian calendar. The Catholic calendar is just wrong, and the Jewish calendar is wrong. If you think back... If you read the Exodus account and you think back to the way life functioned in the agrarian society of ancient Israel, because it was an agrarian society, they were all farmers and, and herders. The calendar could not swing by a month from one year to the next and you would still have Pentecost at the right time, which is the Feast of First Fruits. The calendar was a fixed calendar. It began on the vernal equinox every year. That vernal equinox was the first day of the year and the beginning of the first month. And every year, Passover was on the 14th day of the year, which would be like maybe April 2nd or April 3rd on our calendar. I don't remember off the top of my head. So every April 2nd or 3rd should be the Passover. Every year. Never changes. Because if it was April 2nd this year and March 15th next year and April 20th the year after that, how the hell could we have a feast of first fruits where the <laughs> fruit in the field is ready to have a feast of first fruits? Some years it would rot in the fields, and other years it would be premature. It, it's crazy to think that this calendar swung by as much as 30 days every year. It's nuts. That this calendar is wrong, and it's always been wrong. And, and it's basically a, an Edomite banker's calendar. It, it ain't no real Christian or real Hebrew calendar. The calendar was fixed. First fruits came at the same time every year so that the first fruits would be ripe by the time of the Feast of First Fruits. It's that simple. 49 so, days after April 3rd or April 2nd, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact, I think it's April 3rd, 49 days later should be the Feast of First Fruits. Every year. So, so what should we do then? Um, you well, know, well, I see. Should we, should we do it on the 2nd or the 3rd or 
Or First, what do, you, what do you think? Paul says that some men celebrate a day and other men celebrate every day. We are in captivity. We're still in captivity. Right now we're in captivity to Mystery Babylon, to this, um, th this world system that's with a calendar that's built around finance and, and wow. Anyway, we can't keep the correct Sabbath. We can't keep the correct Passover date. Most of us have jobs and have to feed our families. And, and the Sabbath day doesn't change. The year, the Hebrew year starts every year at the vernal equinox. And the Sabbath day is every seven days from that. And then the next year, it starts over again. The whole calendar starts over again. And sometimes there's a week of two or three days at the end. And, and that's just the way it is because seven doesn't divide evenly into 365. So it's impossible for us to keep the calendar. But we should keep the spirit of the feast. And that means that, yeah, it would be nice to have a gathering the closest to the Passover time as we could get, or a gathering as close to the Feast of Tabernacles as we could get, that would be nice to have. But how about this? Christians should gather all the time. Some men esteem a day and other men esteem every day. Paul of Tarsus, 1 Corinthians. No, I think he said that maybe in Romans chapter 14. Well, Christians should live every day in fellowship of Christ and get together at every possible occasion to share things in common. It's not the ritual that matters. It's the spirit of fellowship and communion with other Christians that matters. That's what matters. And, and when you say with uh, fellow Christians, are, I mean, you, are you saying like we should be with other CI or or even Christians that aren't awake to CI. As as long as they're like-minded white people and as long as we eliminate the spots in our feasts of charity. Because Christians really shouldn't have any spots in their feasts of charity. And when I say that, I'm referring to exactly what Peter and Jude were referring to. People of other races in our communion. Mm. We should exclude our fellowship to other white Christians. And it's better to have other like-minded white Christians, of course. But if we don't have any interaction with marginal Christians who are not identity, then we'll never convince them to our positions. So yeah, we should interact with them when we can, just mm -hmm. not on their terms. All right. Sounds good. I, um, I don't, anybody, anyone have any questions for Bill? Yeah, I got a few questions. Uh, I just had some general CI type questions, uh, not necessarily for us, but like for the viewers that could help clarify and give them a better understanding if that's okay. Sure. Bill? Anything you want. I, I'm open to anything. Okay. Um, so many people, you know, come into CI, they understand that our ancestors swore to upheld God's law on Mount Sinai, uh, but they might not quite understand that Isaac, when Isaac was offered on the altar to God, it actually meant that we now belong to God. Could you perhaps explain that a little bit better, just so people can understand? 
what we can read in in um in the greek tragic poets for instance or in the the greek epic poets or even in some of the babylonian inscriptions or sumerian inscriptions the habit the the understanding in the ancient world is that when you put something on the altar of a god that you were dedicating that thing to the temple and it became the property of that god so when Yahweh demanded of Abraham to put Isaac, to sacrifice Isaac, and told Abraham to build an altar and sacrifice your son Isaac on the altar, Abraham actually believed God that his seed would come through Isaac, and he had that faith that he was later accredited for. And Abraham didn't have to ask how or why. He did as God instructed him and placed Isaac on the altar. And at the last moment, Yahweh forbid Abraham from killing him. But when Abraham placed Isaac on that altar at the behest of God, Isaac became the property of God. Abraham was turning over his own parental right over his son to Yahweh. And from that point on, Yahweh would be Isaac's legal or lawful father and have full control and say over all of Isaac's descendants. That was a legal ritual in the ancient world. When you place something on the altar of a god, it you were ceding any right over that and giving it to the temple of God, of that God. So that's what happened with Abraham and Isaac. And that, that's also what happened with Jephthah. Jephthah had to give up, his, had to sacrifice his daughter. He didn't kill her. He turned her over to the temple. She went and lamented her virginity with her friends because... If she was given over to the temple, she would always be a virgin. That's why she lamented her virginity. So she was given over to the temple. That's Jephthah dedicated her to the service of God. He didn't kill her, sacrifice her by killing her. There's other ways to sacrifice something. You don't destroy everything you sacrifice. In the ancient world, the, the Greeks, when they wanted to make a dedication at a temple, they would bring silver and gold or whatever, and they would lay it on the altar, and it became the property of the temple. And you could read Euripides or Aeschylus, the tragic poets, and see that. They would and do um, Isaac's the only one, the only man ever in history to be accepted by God. No one else, right? To be demanded by God, yes. Not only accepted, but demanded. Yahweh demanded that Abraham put Isaac on that altar. And that also means all the descendants of Isaac belong to God. So we essentially, God basically owns us. We have uh, no say, no rights. We're essentially servants or even slaves to God. Would that right. be correct? Absolutely. That's the ancient belief. And, and that's the way business was conducted in the ancient world. So even if... Um, you know, non-white Christian, uh, white 
non-Christians, even if they don't like it, they are basically born Christians. That's why Paul said you were bought with a price and you were not your own. The children of Israel okay. abandoned God who owned them, who was their father, and, and sold themselves into sin. So he had to purchase them back because under the law, unless he died, he, he could not, that, that, they, that they had to die under the law. So he promised that they would live forever, that they would always be a nation. He couldn't execute the law against them. He had to die himself. But being God, he can take his own life back and, and reclaim them because he fulfilled the law by dying. So he fulfilled the letter of the law. That, that's explained by Paul of Tarsus, and, and the place to start is Romans chapter 7, but that's not the, the, the only place. Right. Um, I just wanted to speak about paganism. Uh, there's this kind of lie going around that, um, and many Europeans fall for it, and that is that paganism is the original native religion of Europeans and the true religion of our ancestors. But that's not true, is it? It's not true, and, and there's all sorts of um, Hebrew parallels, even in the Eddas, but the original religion of our ancestors was the Hebrew religion in, in the temple of Yahweh. And even that there are similar religions that are older than that. And that's evident right in the Bibles that the ancient Adamic race had gone off into paganism. But there are a lot of parallels with the Hebrew religion and the beliefs of the Egyptians and the Sumerians and, and a lot of the beliefs of the Akkadians. There are similar stories. Sometimes they're told from opposite perspectives. But the Hebrew religion, that Old Testament religion, is certainly the original religion of the preponderance of our European ancestors. And the others descended from kindred tribes from Mesopotamia anyway. Because a lot of the pagans uh, don't understand that we came from the area of Israel and we migrated to Europe. You know, a lot of the pagans are under the false assumption that they originated in Europe. Well, right. And, and that's terrible because that's a, that is a recent belief. We were called Caucasians in by by scholars in in the 1800s maybe even in the 1700s because they understood that our ancestors passed through the caucasus mountains from mesopotamia into europe and that's why we're called caucasians why else would europeans be named after a mountain chain the other side of the black sea <laughs> Exactly. And then you have the you have the BHI people, right? The black Hebrew Israelites that uh, think that Egypt was always uh, Arabs, you know, and uh, Ethiopia was blacks. Right. And they go with that that line of thinking too. people don't realize that, um, you know, the whole uh, Mediterranean rim was actually white civilization. Right. The, all of North Africa was white civilization. White civilization met sub-Saharan Africans in Nubia with the Nubians. 
the Nubians being more closely related to the sub-Saharan Africans. Ethiopia was overrun by blacks probably by about 750 BC. And even though later Ethiopian was, I believe to a great extent, white and Greek, I believe that Greeks had gone to Ethiopia too, even though there are only hints at it in early historians. The Ethiopians were originally white and overrun by blacks 800 years perhaps before Christ. And it's better documented that the Nubians also overran Egypt in the 7th century BC and actually ruled Egypt for 75 years before the Egyptians were able to oust them. The Egyptians ousted their leadership and their government, but they never got rid of all the black blood. Would the Egyptians back then be the Hamites? Yes, the Egyptians they the were Ethiopian? Hamites, they were from Mitzrayim, and they were white. The, the early Egyptians for 2,000 years were clearly white. Do you think all the Hamites uh, are extinct now? Then? There are probably some of us in Europe that descended from Ham, but none of us are Hamites. What about JPath? It's pro there are probably there's a much better chance that there are some tribal paternal line JPethites still in existence, especially in the Slavic nations. That's my opinion. I do have some historical standing for that in Diodorus Siculus and some of the later classics. Sure. So if you actually oh go if, ahead. Oh just real quick. If you're so if you're a J Path, right, of J Path and uh you're a European, um can you become a Shemite? You know, can well, you, no, can you, you can't, become you can't. a Shemite if you married a Shemite? No, you could only become a Shemite if your mother married a Shemite. And had you if your Japethite mother married a Shemite the tribal lines follow the father but even with that both parties have to be of the same general Adamic race for you to be legitimate at all the fact of the matter is in Romans chapter 5 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul explains that as in Adam all men die in Christ all men, meaning all Adamic men, shall be made alive. The children of Israel have a special relationship with God, but there is a wider Adamic race that will also benefit from that relationship. Christ said that the Assyrian, the men of Nineveh, would be in the, in, would be in the resurrection. And the men of Nineveh oh, yeah. were actually Assyrians from Asher. They were Semites, but they weren't Israelites. We all have the same genetic makeup. We're all Adamic people with that eternal spirit that Yahweh has innately implanted into our race. That spirit is part of our DNA. It, it's no more separable from you than your left foot or, or your right arm. Can I ask you about um, the parable of the two sticks then and what your, what your point of view is on that? Well, well, that parable of the two sticks is in Ezekiel chapter 37. And as all prophecy unfolds as a process, 
Ezekiel chapters 34 through 39 are also a description, a prophetic description of a rather lengthy process. The two sticks, most of the tribes of Israel were deported by the Assyrians. But what even a lot of Christian identity people overlook is the fact that 46 fenced cities of Judah were also deported by the Assyrians and have always been migrating into Europe and Central Asia along with those tribes of Israel that were deported. So they were never really separated from the, the tribes of Israel after the Assyrian deportations. Now, Judah wasn't divided by that means. In biblical history, Judah was seen as the house of Judah, which was the government and kingdom of Judah that abode in Jerusalem after the Assyrian deportations of most of even Judah. Well, that's the Judah that Ezekiel's talking about, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, which has already totally, practically, for the most part, been taken away. So the house of Judah remained in, in Palestine until the Babylonian deportations. And they would be made into one stick, and I believe that means that they would all be Christians going forward. I think that's a prophecy of Christianity. Remember that Judah and Israel were separated and the Israelites became pagan after the death of Solomon. The Israelites, the 10 northern tribes, were pagan for 400 years in Palestine. They were pagan. They were worshiping golden calves and, and forgot about the temple in Jerusalem. They abandoned it. From the time so, of Jeroboam one. So then the tribes coming together as one stick happened in Europe. I believe it happened already. in Europe with, with the spread of Christianity. Yeah, okay. That there is another um that there's another prophecy of I, I think I'm I'm gonna paraphrase it. Um ten men shall take hold of, 10 men shall take hold, I have it, Zechariah chapter 8, 10 men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, in, in the Old Testament that should be a man of Judah, of him that is a Judahite, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Those 10 men are representative of the northern tribes. And he that is a Judahite is representative of the apostles who may have been from Benjamin, but they were from the kingdom of Judah and the spread of the gospel. Zech Zechariah 8.23 is a prophecy of Christianity. Okay, um, I had a few more questions. Sure. 
You don't okay. have to tell me um, you, have, so, so, you, you don't have to tell me you have questions. Just ask them. <laughs> okay. I'll sit here Thank all afternoon. You, Bill. Thank you so much because we're just we're just shooting them at you left and right. We really appreciate it. So um, basically, the whole parable about you know the new wineskins that Christ said, where people they wake up to Christianity or CI, but they can't quite get rid of that old baggage. Um, one of those things is that there's this this Satan character, this Lucifer, this fallen angel who's running the world. Uh, is there any scriptural proof for that? Could you explain it a bit, please, for the viewers? There's no, there's no proof that Satan is a, an individual spirit running the world. I haven't seen that anywhere in scripture. Even in, even in, even in the, the famous go-to place for most scriptures, for most mainstream Christians is Isaiah chapter 14, right? Isaiah chapter 14, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? But, you know, a little further on, it, it, it addresses him that he's a man. And, and it's the same in Ezekiel chapter 27, I believe, where it addresses the prince of Tyre. It says that he's a man. Lucifer is a man. So what Christians fail to do, what mainstream Christians fail to do, is they fail to look into what Lucifer means, who this is being addressed to, and, and what the historical backdrop is that such a thing would be prophesied at this time. And Lucifer is simply the ancient kings. And this is true in Egypt. It's true with the Hittites. It's true with the Phoenician kings. It's true in Babylon. The ancient kings thought and described themselves as if they were the sun on earth, that they were the light givers. And all the, Lucifer, all the word Lucifer means, Lucifer means light bearer or carrier of light. That's all it means. The word lux in Latin meaning light, in the Septuagint Greek it's eosphorus, eos meaning light, and that fer part, the ending, fer, comes from the Greek word pharos, which means carrier or bearer. To uh, The verb phero means to carry. That's all it means light carrier or light bearer. Today we have all of these pundits on television to think that they're the bearers of light, that they're carrying truth to the people. That was the ancient kings. They thought they were the bearers of life because they were the makers of law and the dictators of what the people saw or were allowed to see as truth. And that's why the Roman emperors were basically worshipped as gods while they were living, because they had the power of life and death over all their subjects, and they had the power to determine or to dictate what was truth. So in Isaiah chapter 14, Yahweh is basically mocking the king of Babylon for thinking that he was the bearer of light. 
Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. This is a real individual. It's not a Satan, a spirit floating around in the ether controlling life or death over man. It's a real king sitting in an earthly seat of government who's being mocked by God. And that's why they like to use the term Illuminati too, right? Because, you know. Well, right. But today. Lucifer, it, Illuminati. Right. The Illuminati, they're not spirits in heaven. They're real men on earth who, who yeah. have a lot of power and influence, like this king of Babylon, and who want to dictate to us what we should believe, what we shouldn't believe, what we should follow. And they have control of the media. And I don't like to call them Illuminati. I would rather call them Jews. And they really believe that they can be gods. That's humanism. That's the humanism that's taught in the Masonic lodges and in all of the um, Jewish humanist literature of the Middle Ages, the idea that man can rise to the position of God and play God. That's the basis of humanism. So then law becomes relative to whichever man is in power and his whims. And that's Jewish relativism that we see in the Talmud. Because they do, you know, because they, they control the uh, the Masons too, right? And at the top of the pyramid, uh, they do put one man and they call him their Antichrist or whatever, right? Because the, um, uh, what's his name, Netanyahu, remember he had his uh, favorite rabbi. I can't remember the rabbi's name off the top of my head, but he passed away. But they were thinking that he was the Antichrist, that one rabbi. You know, but then he ended up um, passing away. So it's like they they still um, think that there's going to be some man at the pinnacle of their new world order. And then um, the chief elders still tell that man what to do. So they still, you know, um, rule over him, you know, just like the Talmud. Right. The chief elders are the ones that are the um, supreme authority. Right. In, in my podcast last night, I actually got something wrong. I called him Sabate Levi. He's actually Sabate Zevi, Z-E-V-I. He yeah. lived 500 years ago in Turkey, and he was the proclaimed Messiah of the Jews until he converted to Islam. I swear, it couldn't be better. And a lot of Jews in Europe thought he was the Messiah and followed him. They were known as Sabbateans, and they followed him, and, and he converted to Islam, and the whole thing unraveled. But didn't he uh, convert to Islam just as a cover, you know, just like a lot of uh, Jews today pretend like they're Christians when they're not? Well, well that might be. I, I don't know all the details of it, but... He still disappointed a lot of European Jews who lost faith in him as the Messiah, but they believed he was the Messiah. Yeah, because they, because you know, I hear talk uh, people saying that they think that um, Jared Kushner um, is is going to fulfill that role. You know, because they they want to have a person at the pinnacle of their pyramid. You know, to well, well, rule right. the new world order. Yeah. Well, well, their Messiah is is a Jew who's going to rise up and rule the entire world at the whim of the Jews. That's their Messiah. 
That's how they see a Messiah. And a lot of Jews just think collectively that they're their own Messiah. And it's a collective thing. So yeah. it, it's antichrist. It, it, no matter how you look at it, the Jews collectively, they are Satan. They act in a satanic manner. They are, as Christ himself called them, the synagogue of Satan. Satan is not an individual. Satan is described in Revelation chapter 12 as a single angel who led a rebellion against God and fell from heaven. Now, heaven can be looked at in different ways. If you go to ancient Sumerian inscriptions, you will find that heaven was a euphemism for the seats of power and government, and that earth was a term descriptive of the rest of us, the rest of the people, the common people. So heaven was the government and the palace and the seats of power, and earth was the common farmers and, and tradesmen and laborers. That's how the terms are used in ancient Sumerian inscriptions. So heaven doesn't necessarily mean a place that's somewhere up in the sky that we really can't see. No, that's not what the term means at all. Now, I believe that the heaven which God is in is a different physical plane, but it's immaterial. That, that word heaven doesn't always mean in ancient times what we think it means. You know, real quick, Bill, so then, um, you know, um, the seed of the serpent, right? So Azazel uh, impregnated Eve. So wouldn't Azazel be considered an individual, though, that that would uh, play a role? Well, well did Azazel in, in impregnate Eve or did Samael did that through that? There's different accounts and different um, apocryphal stories. And that's probably why they're apocryphal, because they don't agree. That it's, I'm, Genesis chapter 3 is definitely speaking of a sexual transgression. I agree yeah. wholeheartedly. It's and, and I have papers that I've written to show that using Sumerian literature, like the Epic of Gilgamesh, to prove that the allegories in Genesis chapter 3 are indeed sexual in nature. They're describing sexual acts in, in, in these allegories, which are also appear in the Epic of Gilgamesh, describing sexual acts, the same allegories, where it's more um, explicit. So these fallen angels, in my opinion, didn't necessarily fall out of the sky. They fell from seats of power and government. They fell from, in my opinion, a godly government on earth. That's how they fell. They revolted and they fell. And their fall caused chaos. That chaos is what the creation accounts of the Sumerians and Assyrians and Babylonians are based on the legend of Tiamat, the serpent in the ocean, the primordial ooze of Carl Sagan and the modern Jews, right? The ocean, which is just the, to me, 
the ocean to sea in the book of Revelation is the general mass of the world's people is the sea. And the serpent is in it. The serpent is the descendants of these rebellious fallen angels, is that serpent. Now, that serpent that led this rebellion seduced our first mother. That old serpent, as it's described in Revelation chapter 12, where we have this picturesque description of the fall of these angels, the rebellion against God, and it's led by that old serpent who had seduced our first mother. So, there's a lot of things I could say about that part of that scene that are conjecture. But what we as Christians should believe from the scriptures is that there was this race of people here before us. That is what the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents, is all those fallen angels in Revelation chapter 12. The serpent is their leader, and that old serpent in Genesis chapter 3 is that serpent. So, he seduces our first parents, which are what I see as the progenitors of our race, and causes them to sin in what was definitely a sin of sexual nature, including race mixing. As Adolf Hitler said, the sin against God and race, against blood and race, is the original sin of mankind. That's exactly, he was exactly right. That's what was going on in Genesis chapter 3, a sin against blood and race. And I, I would have to walk through the entire first five chapters of Genesis to prove all of this, because there's allegory throughout them that, that helps lend credence to it. So they sinned. And then Cain and Abel were the results, and Cain didn't necessarily come from Adam because Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, the Hebrew, the original Hebrew of that verse is demonstrably corrupt. And scholars have admitted, mainstream scholars have admitted that it's demonstrably corrupt. So it doesn't necessarily say what we think it says. Cain is never called the son of Adam anywhere in scripture. But Abel is. Cain slays Abel and Cain goes outside of the garden and finds a wife and builds a city. So there have to be other people here. There must be. And I see those other people that Cain encountered as part of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are many trees in the garden. There were trees that God made grow from the ground. They're fruit trees. They're not human trees. There are only two human trees in the garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life did not grow from the ground. They're just in the midst of the garden. They are allegorical trees representing people. So, Can I say, too... Um, you know, the, the Jews, they do have certain characteristics that differentiate them, you know, from us, like their hook nose, you know, is the biggest example, you know. So it does seem like um, the, the, the physical seed was bad from the beginning. And that's how you can tell, too, because of the line, their line, you know, they have this these physical characteristics that are 
different from us. Well, well, right. And I believe that 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 tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents all of the other races, none of which, none of which their creation is described in Genesis. None. Now, those who resemble us, the Arabs, the Jews, they came from early race mixing of our own race with branches of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's evident in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 6, in Genesis chapter 15, and all throughout later history. And we are that tree of life, which is the Adamic race. Yahshua Christ is the root and a branch of that tree meaning that he is the creator and he came as a member of that race because he is God. So, the tree of life is God and his race, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are those angels, as they're called, who rebelled against God and everything in his creation that they corrupted, to which the other races belong. Because the other races were not created by God. Only the Adamic race was created by God. So do you think that Cain was the first uh, Mamzer, basically? Because he was um, the first Mamzer. Samael and Azazel, you know, whichever one it is with Eve, would be the first mixed. Right. Right. He was the first mixed Adamite. Yeah. There must have been other corruptions on a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if we want to talk from secular anthropological terms, I would think that Cro-Magnon man and Neanderthal man and many other um, early archaeological curiosities came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from the race which rebelled against God before Adam was here on earth. And that race is not described until Revelation chapter 12. But Christ said that he came to reveal things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Meaning that the entire truth is not revealed in Genesis. So we have to look to the sayings of Christ, his parables and his revelation in order to arrive at a semblance of that truth. In the parables, he said that the the field is the world and and the wheat are the children of the kingdom and the tares were sown by the devil, meaning that those other races amongst the wheat came from the devil. And notice how wheat is phonetically almost the same as white. Well, it is the same as white, yes. We're the white and the tares. And it's golden, and yeah, <laughs> black Hebrew Israelites can't be golden. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, they're not. And that, um, that also well. explains how all the other races ended up on the other continents. There's like no other way to explain how they got there. Right. The the things in 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 Genesis chapters ten and eleven about the land being divided don't mean what Judeo Christians think they mean. In, in Genesis chapter 10, we have the description of the nations. 
and the land was divided, that means that the land was split up between those nations. That's all it means. And the historicity of Scripture and the proof of what I'm saying about Genesis chapters 1 through 9 is found in Genesis chapter 10. That table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, they are all originally white. It can be proven in history and archaeology that they were all originally white. There aren't any Chinese, no red people, no brown people, no black people in Genesis chapter 10. There are nations which later became mixed. There are plenty of those, but they're, it, they're originally all white. So would that go along with Babylon too and the mixing of the tongues, that the mixing of the tongues was for the white race into different uh, languages? Yes, it was. It was for the white race. It was only the white race at the Tower of Babel, but it's evident that they were already being um, tempted to revolt from God and to follow paganism. And all of the other white the branches of our race followed after paganism. And Paul of Tarsus even described that in Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter, I believe, chapter 14. Yeah, it's amazing how everything is explained, you know, when, when we find out that the white people are the Israelites. You know, everything fits so well. I hope one day to do a, um, a full commentary on Genesis, a more formal commentary like I've been doing with the New Testament, the Minor Prophets. But, but I tried to lay it all out from extemporaneously, for the most part, in Pragmatic Genesis, which is a series I did a couple of years ago. I'm sure it could be improved on. But I, I tried to just explain the, the basic summary of everything I believe about scripture, antiquity, paganism, history. And it took me 28 podcasts and I never really finished it. So it's titled Pragmatic Genesis? Pragmatic we look forward Genesis. on Christogenia? Yes, Pragmatic Genesis. Okay. I love your Bible basics too, by the way, that you did with Sven. Right. That would probably be a better place for people to start. Yeah. But if they're really fascinated with things that um, ah, are difficult to prove or explain, pragmatic genesis would probably be it. I go in and talk about ancient Egyptian religion, Babylonian religion, the other races. I, I really get into a lot of deep stuff in pragmatic genesis. Would, would you mind if I put some of your uh, podcasts on BitChute? Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. Be my guest. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I just want to, um, you know, I, I'd put your stuff on YouTube. I'd like to do that. But I have a feeling you're their enemy number one. <laughs> yeah, don't. <laughs> and I'd, I'll be surprised if this uh, live chat doesn't get censored. You, you know, I, we'll um, I, I lease myself. 14 internet servers, 14 servers online. That's how I stay online. I, I have five dedicated servers and I have like nine cloud servers that do peculiar, um, particular tasks. That's how I stay online. I, I couldn't be on YouTube. If I took the time to upload all my stuff to YouTube, I know it would disappear 
and, and I'd waste hundreds of hours. Yeah, it definitely would disappear. <laughs> that, that's why I don't. Do they attack YouTube. your servers, Bill? Do, do your servers actually? Um, do they try and attack you instead? Yeah, you know, I've I suffered a lot of DDoS attacks in fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Um, cloud. I have two layers now of DDoS protection. One at the server level and one at Cloudflare, and and that has pretty much eliminated all the DDoSs. I see one once in a while, and it's always short-lived. And it's, it, I probably haven't been attacked like that since about a month after Charlottesville. I was there at Charlottesville and, and had a lot, of, a lot to say about it afterwards. That's, I lost my Lulu account. I lost my Spreadshirt account. I lost my second PayPal all after Charlottesville. Um, that they've tried hard to deplatform me from a lot of other places that they haven't been able to yet. So, you know, it's amazing because um, you know most people get their information, you know, from YouTube stuff like that. But um, you know, with through your website, I mean, so so many people find you still, you know. So that that just shows how important your information is and. and what a difference you're making, you know, that the people are seeking you out and they can't shut you down and your website is so big, you know, you get so many viewers. I wish it were more. I'm I'm in um I'm in the top two hundred thousand on Alexa, maybe barely. I, I just dropped out of it last week for a minute. It it's like one ninety nine or something like that, maybe two hundred. I, I I don't I've been in the top of the top 200,000 for most of the last 10 years, but it, it, I was hoping by now it would be a lot bigger, to be honest with you. I'm getting about 120 to 140,000 unique visitors a month, typically. Can they, um, can they see you from like Germany, you know, or is there something in Germany where they, um, you know, block you like they aren't able to access your website or there can are. anybody I, I couldn't access his site in um united kingdom without a vpn right there are some um in, in fact sky tv i think blocks me that there's a couple of major united kingdom um isps that block me there's a few other major ones in germany that block me but i still get access i, I mean I'll look at the, um, right here, I have the last 20 days from April 1st. Google that's, Analytics. That's Google, probably why you're not bigger than you are, is because they are trying to block you. Yeah, I, I get, um, this month, so far to date, since April 1st, this month, 6.5% of my traffic is from the United Kingdom, 4.8% from Canada, 3.1% from Australia. Now that's gone down. Australia has gone down markedly since that shooting in New Zealand. And 2.8% from Germany. 1.9% from South Africa. I block at my server level and on Cloudflare, I block or restrict just about every non-white country from accessing <laughs> my site. 
<laughs> I do that on purpose. If I opened up my site to all countries, I would probably go up 50,000 points in the Alexa rankings. But I don't want them on my site. I block them. <laughs> so, yeah. so I do that purposely. I, I have a whole list of networks blocked from my servers in my, in, at the server level. On, on my website. That, do you think the low percentage in like Germany, UK, stuff like that is people that have the alternate VPN and that's why they're able to access your site? It might be, but I know that not every ISP blocks me in, in Germany or in Britain. A lot of them do, but not everyone. I, I know that because I test it myself through VPNs and things like that. I, I'm really a techie, right? I, I mean... Uh, I'm originally, my first love in my life was history, but I, I learned all about technology back in the 80s and 90s. And I was actually a technology manager for a manufacturing company for years before I went to prison. And my prison term was associated with my law enforcement career. I've been like a, a, a wandering vagabond Jew, maybe. Nah, I don't want to say that, but I've gone from... <laughs> one thing to another in life and i guess it 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 all um convened for a purpose right because i wouldn't be able to be me if i didn't have a technical background and i would have never um learned all this stuff about scripture and history if i didn't go to prison i i mean i just wouldn't yeah and if you didn't live in new york too you needed that background you know right. to, know, to know how the jews are really are so oh yeah up close and personal yeah. I, I mean <laughs> i even even my lawyer was a jew because i thought <laughs> at that time i was onto the jews but i thought it was a good deal to to go get a devil to fight with the devil right i, I mean we make those mistakes when we don't have yeah. all the knowledge that we we'd like to have right yeah so that's life but i won't do it again <laughs> but the um yeah the bottom line is that it's i could see in my life how different stages of it all fit into place because if if i didn't have that experience i certainly wouldn't do what i do now i wouldn't be what i am now so i just hope yeah. that I, part I, of yahweh's plan that i'm on the right track and that I stay on it because it, it's, I, I do believe that it is Christian identity and, and to seed line the way that I profess it, I really believe that that is the only truth that matters. Yeah, when, one of my friends was saying that, um, you know, CI, the way um, you teach it is basically the end of the rabbit hole. You know, we got there like, you know, people in the truth movement, it's like you haven't um, found the whole truth until you've discovered uh, CI, you know, that that's the, the ultimate truth, basically, because you could see in the, the New World Order that it's it's the fight between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Bottom line, that's what it is. That's what we're going through, you know, I, so I all the other things. I, I can't understand how all white nationalists can't see that. I, it's I crazy. It. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe they just have too much baggage. I, I don't know. But it, it's, you know, I didn't come to the conclusions I've come to 
because I thought they sounded good, I came to them with years of study and critical examination. And that's the only way that I could believe it. It is to actually go check it out and, and prove it out and see if it's true. It, if it's not true from one end of the Bible to the other and from one end of history to the other, then I don't want anything to do with it. But it, it, I'm doing what I'm doing right now because I've discovered that it certainly is true and, and it is the only truth that matters. If you, like you said about the, the end of the rabbit hole, I went through all those rabbit holes just to understand them. I listened to Art Bell for, for entertainment for years. I heard all the William Henrys and, and, and um, Graham Hancocks and, and all those turkeys, Lawrence, um, the, the clown with the monatomic gold, I forget his damn name. I, I listened to all these clowns on many occasions and saw through all the holes and heard all the lies that they have to pepper their bullshit with. In, in order to make it sound true, like saying that King Hiram was sending monatomic gold to Solomon instead of bread, right? I, I mean, come on. <laughs> I, yeah. I, all, this, all these crazy conspiracy theories, right? William Henry, um, he, he used to push this idea that the Tower of Babel was really a space portal. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Uh, all these yeah. harebrained and and all of these David Ike, yeah, half of what he says is great, but it's the other half that just stinks. It it's they they all have um, bits and pieces of truth <clears throat> that they're using to distract us and suck us down a rabbit hole and keep us there so that we are never truly effective in the real struggle against the devil. Alex Jones exactly. is probably the biggest rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He and is. he's pro-Israel. Oh, yeah, Arabs own Hollywood and... Wow. Well, he married and a Jew. Yeah, he married a Jew, exactly. <laughs> I've seen people... Yeah, you know, it's like that progression of CI understanding that I started to talk about when we began this afternoon, it, it's that progression in, in awakening and awareness. So many people, when they get to Alex Jones, they think they found the truth and they don't have to go any further. And if they don't get to Alex Jones, they get to David Icke. If it ain't David Icke, it's David Duke. If it's not David Duke, it's Stormfront. And they think they've arrived and they don't have to go any further and they're in a rabbit hole. And when you're in the rabbit hole, I guess you can't see that you're in a rabbit hole. Yep. I was there for years. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think a lot of us, we had to experience that, you know, but luckily we kept seeking and we found you, Bill, you know, <laughs> so we're really blessed. We're really blessed to have you. I appreciate that. I, I really yeah. do. I don't, I'm not the end of the rainbow, but that's Christ, right? Yeah. <laughs> Only he is the end of the rainbow. But I, I, I'm, I, I really work hard to document 
all of my positions. And, and it's hard to get them out in one casual conversation in a podcast. That's why I have a thousand podcasts. They document my positions, but it's hard to get people to go listen to them or to go read. People don't read. That they, it, it's a YouTube world. If I can't get the truth in three minutes on YouTube, I don't want to take the time to get it. That's, the that's what it seems like to me is the attitude of most people, even most people who claim to be awake. Yeah, I do. I listen to your podcasts on my commute, you know, so people can do that if they if they, you know, work full time and they're really busy. I mean, that's that's one way that people can do it. You know, I recommend I love listening to you on on my drive you know? Well, I usually feel sorry for people who love listening to me. <laughs> I love listening to you. Like you always say, you'll say right, or you'll say I'm sorry. You'll you you know you'll read. Something. That's just the way it is. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. It cracks me up. It's like you're the best. You are. It's like I don't know. We're just really blessed to have you. You know, and I I take comfort that you're here with us, and that you know we have um, your wonderful work. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, us, and, so. and when you want me back to speak about anything specific, or that's possible, right? Oh, I'd love to have you come back. So absolutely, I'm do that. <laughs> so okay, I we've been on for over two hours. I'm sure you're really tired. You did um, you know, your your podcast with Sven already, and um, we I'm don't just getting you... started. I, I'm going out to <laughs> do yard work for the next four or five hours and play with my okay. Weimaraner. Right on. But so I want to um, ask um, Miko, Truthvids, uh, Scotland, Sean, is there any burning questions you want to ask Bill before we let him go then? Did you guys well, have something you want to ask him? All my questions were answered, so I'm good. No, I've just been loving listening. Who am I? I never spoke to these guys before. Truthvids, I know from the forum. And Mike. You're Mike M from the forum? Yeah. Okay, yeah, and... cool. It's great to meet you guys. And Sean, you're not on my forum. No, I've, I've, yeah, no I should do. <laughs> I'm just asking, right? You're not familiar but Sean's with me. A, Sean's a fan. So Sean's like me because we okay. weren't, um, we just, uh, you know, we're going down the rabbit hole and everything. And we just came to CI recently. Mike M yeah. and Truthvids are way more seasoned on ci and on your forum so they actually yeah. helped uh sean and i out a lot you know mm -hmm. so we're doing this like accelerated learning with well, their well, help and well, yours that, i'm sorry for the sake of my listeners why don't you tell me how you got to ci how i got to ci yeah um so i um okay so basically what opened my eyes because so my dad was an atheist so he never let me go to church and my mom was a non-practicing lutheran so my whole life i never went to church or anything and so then when i woke up in uh 2009 you know i had this burning desire for the truth and i was going to do uh you know it became my passion so everything you know so i went down all those rabbit holes like alex jones and david ike and all that stuff right so eventually um i think it was like a year ago a year and a half ago i picked up andrew hitchcock's uh synagogue of satan book and i read that and so i knew that the jews you know th that 
um i i looked more into i got to the point where um i thought it was the luciferians and i didn't know that the luciferians necessarily were the jews so when i read synagogue of satan then i made that connection that they're the jews right and then andy wrote his book in the name of yahweh so i read that and that got me on to ci and i was like whoa you know so i'm looking into that so then i started looking for anything i could ci and that's when i hit on birch and compray and so that's when i started on my channel um doing my um presentations on birch and compray and um i don't remember exactly what it was that got me to you but i just kept looking 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 and uh it might have been people commenting on the bertrand uh presentations because then they all got censored you know because you have the adl watches youtube right so they come in and they censored the crap out of my channel so any so all these great comments i got from ci people under like bertrand um you know they all got removed they took all the comments away but i oh, think wow. it was i think it was through that that's how i met mike m on here through the comments and um and so someone on there i think turned me on to you and then and then i got on your your uh, website and i've been there ever since and i learned so much from you and um you know so i couldn't wait to have you on i'm i'm so blessed that you came on and um you know today's like the perfect day hitler's birthday i think it was meant to be you know i think yahweh wanted you to come on today on my show <laughs> well that's wonderful I I, i'm humbled by that and i appreciate that but I have one more burning question because you're married, right? Yeah. What does your husband think about this? I have um, to ask that. He's fully on board. He's fully on board. Well, that's so great. I, but I do all the, I do all the research and then I share it with him and I'm, I'm blessed that he's fully on board because I know a lot of people don't have that. You know, a lot of people, their spouses, um you know they can't wake up and stuff so i i really feel well, for people well right and and a lot of men even on my forum there are guys that lean towards the migto attitude right but there are a lot of women that i know who are ci and have been ci some of them for years and in spite of their husbands who are still judeo-christians or who don't care right so i had to ask that yeah. because to find CI couples is a wonderful thing, but it's, they're scarce. And yeah. I wish, I wish you were closer, Bill. I wish <laughs> because we would be coming to visit you for sure. I wish you weren't all the way in Florida, but um, yeah, I mean, if, if he was, uh, if he wasn't CI, I mean, I would still be going full blown CI. No one's going to stop me from the truth, you know? But it doesn't say that, isn't there the verse in the Bible, too, that says mothers against daughters, um, you know, fathers against sons. Yeah, right. CI has divided yeah. a lot of families. Even, I don't talk to any of my own. I talk to my brother. And I talk to my mother, but now she's mad at me for other reasons. But that don't matter. It, it's <laughs> My mother did understand some of the things that I said to a point, but she never really wanted to take the time to really study, you know. But she did understand what I was saying, and she agreed with, she didn't disagree with any of it. it it's, um, my father passed off about eight weeks after, six weeks after I got out of prison, he died. But he listened to a couple of my podcasts and loved them. 
my brother understands me, but he works for the government, so he can't admit or agree with me publicly. He, he can't, right? He, he, he's a whore for, for Babylon, and, <laughs> and that's the way it is. But my oldest son agreed with me, and that's it. The whole rest of my family, I'm estranged from. All my kin in upstate New York, when I started talking to them, they hated me. They're all Judeo-Christian, Baptists, or Lutherans. They absolutely hated me. <laughs> you know, I just had a conversation with my mom the other day. So my, my mom's in California. And I was trying to red pillar on Hitler because my mom is German. And she, um, her grandfather um, died on the Russian front. So he was a, you know, a Nazi and um he was a martyr yeah that's what i told her and you know it's funny because she said she said the jews never did anything to me and i said mom they killed your father yeah they blew up your house your your mom and your sister knew they had to flee they lived in berlin their house got blown up their uh, her father died on the front so they had to flee to essen where her grandparents lived they own a, a drugstore and they lived on top of the drugstore and uh, they blew that up too okay so they were she, so as a little baby you know her all her uh toddler years all that they were starving they were literally starving and i tell i told her and and they lost all their wealth and her father and i said and you say the jews did nothing to you you know she's so brainwashed i can't get her i haven't even i haven't even breached i tried a little bit uh christian identity to explain who we are but um, but I she won't go there. None of it, none of it. She fights me, fights me, fights me, on it. You know, so, the, the truth is right in plain sight. You ever listen to the Rolling Stones' "Sympathy for the Devil"? That is so true. It's such a perfect description if you understand that it's the Jews. It all falls, and they must put that stuff out there in front of us for that reason. They really must. But the, those, the, those people behind every war have been the Jews, and Hitler was perfectly right about that. And I don't understand why people can't make that connection, but that's like I said, it, it has to be Yahweh, God, that hits that switch. And, and if people don't want to see it, or if that switch isn't hit, there's no way to, to show them. Um, my, wife, my wife's grandfather was in the Second World War, and I had many conversations with him before he passed off a couple of years ago. He, he was an aerial photographer for the United States Air Force or the United States Army Air Corps or whatever it is during World War II, and he was so proud of his role in saving the Jews from the Nazis. There was no talking to him. So every time that we went to see him, he would be trying to persuade me, looking for me to grant my blessing upon his great sacrifice in World War II, which I never did. And, and he kept trying to get my approbation, and I would never give it to him. I was never mean to him, he's my wife's grandfather, but. Wow, it, he really sought approval for that. And that's how that generation actually defined themselves. Yeah, because, you know, they come to an age where um, they don't want to 
um, think that they lived a lie, you know, that they were living a lie. And then finally at the end, you know, it's like too much for them, it seems like. And that's exactly what they've been doing for all those decades is living a lie. And they're yeah, still doing it's it. Just... It's hard. It is. It is. But it's, it's, you're blessed that your husband's on board. That's the important part. Yeah, I am. I am. And my kids. And Great. my kids. So, yeah. But we're in a place where we got to move. I told you, you know, here in Hawaii. So yeah. we got to, we got to get. The land. We, of- we got to go find some woods like, like you live in. That's what we need. I'm glad you're in the woods, Bill. I was worried about you because Florida, you know, it's, it's such a populated state. And, you know, you have a lot of the Cubans and stuff. And there's actually a lot of Jews in your state, too, you know. I've been in a hostile environment all my life. Forever. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> went from New York, Jew Central, to Florida, Jew Central. <laughs> I, I, out here, out here, I'm concerned more about spiders and snakes than I am in the city about Negroes and, and Latinos, right? Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. What do you think? Yeah, it's do, been wonderful. Is there, and and is, I, there, is there anything you want to say last uh, thing to share with our people? Uh, nothing Any- I could think of that I haven't, but I, I'll be back and what will um, right. maybe be more specific or topical if you want next time today we were kind of i was all over the map i guess i always oh i love it i love i love our chat today though i really do and i think you really helped a lot of people because you know with the notre dame stuff the church uh vandalism and everything it you know it is pretty frightening for people well well, the jews do want to see every icon of christian civilization torn down the the like you talk about that awakening it all of these things can happen right in front of the faces of our people and they'll still turn to that television for truth and they'll never turn to God and things aren't going to get better for those people until they turn to God. Yeah. And, and you taught me that um, we do want Babylon to fall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you we know, because it's only going to get better right. once it does. So, so when we see what's going on, you know, we need to uh, be encouraged and not discouraged. Well, well, right. But we also need to look at it objectively. And it's hard to because I love history and I love old Europe. I wish I could see old Europe. I'm, I'm, I'm a felon. I, I'll never get to Europe. I can't go to Germany. They'll throw the key away on me. They will. You'll be arrested in a heartbeat. <laughs> Yeah, can't have Bill in Germany. That I would, would be like, I would love to see the Rhineland. I'd love to see where my father's ancestors came from. I'll never see it, but I still have that um, from all my reading and and vicarious experience. I still have sentimental attachments to those Gothic structures and and the the wonderful ornaments of western civilization i mean we all have to have that and and it's difficult to see it um torn down it disturbs me to see pictures of dresden after the fire bombings right and and all the beautiful civilization we had that has been destroyed in our wars 
for the benefit of Jewry. But the bottom line is that to worship the objects is basically idolatry. And we have to, for that reason, look at it objectively. That Western civilization is extremely corrupt and it can't be fixed. It can't be reformed and it's not going to get better. We have to wait for the day that Babylon falls so that we can, like a phoenix, rebuild it from the ashes and do it correctly. And that's what the biblical promise is. So we can only wait for Babylon to fall. And we have to um, be aware and objective until then. Because like the Bible says, with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Amen. Definitely. All righty. Well, on that note, I guess we'll uh, call it a day. And um, thank you, Bill, and everybody for being with us. And thank you for the offer for coming back. I will hit you up on that <laughs> down the road. Oh, we should tell everybody you're going to be on with um, Dennis Wise, right? You guys are going to do, are right. you guys going to do a podcast? Well, what I'm doing is until the hurricane, I always had two podcasts a week. I always did. Now, a lot of times one of them was just an interview or a discussion, but I also have a few languishing um, projects that I was doing on Saturday evenings at Christagenia, the Protocols of Satan, the Jews in Medieval Europe, Martin Luther and Life and Death, and all of that's been on hold since the hurricane. I haven't had time to, to write that much. I'm hoping to get back to it in June, so I'm going to restart a weekend podcast, and this will probably be the initial episode, and I'll probably broadcast this at Christagenia tomorrow evening. So that's what I'm hoping. I'm going to start an 8 p.m. Sunday podcast rather than Saturday so that I have an extra day to prepare. And, and I recorded Bible Basics Part 7 this morning with Sven Longshanks, and I will probably air that next Saturday. And during the week... I hope to do a conversation with Dennis Wise and or next Sunday and and Dennis Wise will be third in line probably with that. And and that's what I'm thinking of right now. I might just publish two podcasts tomorrow and Dennis Wise next week. So I may do it that way. And that might even be better. So I'll have to see how I feel in the morning. But thank you, and, and I'll be glad to come back in, in a couple of months or whatever, whenever you want. Um, I, I, all, I do for, for, all I do for my existence is run my mouth and write anyway, so it's never a problem. And we so appreciate that. We're glad that's all you do. Well. <laughs> so that we can have you. <laughs> yeah. Have your work, you know. So everybody, you should go to Christagenia.org. To check out his work, everybody, on there. Thank you, Bill. Even if you misspell Christagenia, Google will figure it out and, and probably lead you to the right place. And thank you, okay. gentlemen, gentlemen, all three of you, Mike, Sean, Truthvids, thank you very much. I appreciate y'all. Thanks for coming in. And...
I'd love to talk to you again soon. That's all I can say. All right. Take care. Well, thank you. Okay, take <laughs> yeah. care. Yahweh bless. Bye, everybody. Praise Christ. Bye. Bye -bye. Praise Yahweh. Thank you. Yahweh bless.